This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Go to our foundational scripture, which is in John chapter 17. And here we see God, we see Jesus, excuse me, speaking to his disciples and preparing them. And so we'll begin at, let's begin at verse 15. And he says, I pray not, he's talking to the Father, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. He said, when he said sanctified, he said, I'm setting myself apart. And so that they can set themselves apart when they hear truth. Amen. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their words, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That the world, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Now, in, again, in this verse, uh, in this passage of scripture, Jesus is praying to the Father, but I want you to know, as I said before, God has never let his man or woman not know how to live in whatever dispensation. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, he always showed them how they were to live. If you go back and look at the minor prophets, the, uh, the, the, um, the major prophets, you look at all of the, the judges, you look at every single one of them, in every dispensation, they knew how to live. They stayed connected with God. And so in this time... In this period in our lives, we need to stay connected to God. And every time you hear the teaching, you will know how to live. Amen. We see in law, in Paul's letters, he said, you know, he, he, he showed you how to exist in troubling times. You know, a lot of times and for a lot of people, they don't usually like to go to the letters. They like to just stay in the gospels. But the gospels is really dealing with a lot with your salvation. Once you get saved, you need to get into the letters of, of Paul. You need to get into the other books of the Bible so you can be taught how to live. Amen. And so it's incumbent on me and it's my responsibility to make sure that this church and the members of this church know how to exist in this time, how to go forward, how to move the church forward, how to, 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 I mean, to, to hunker down and say, you know what, I am in this for the long haul as far as God's word is concerned, and nothing, nothing that comes upon this world is going to shake me because God has established me in his word. Amen? Because these are trying times. Amen. And God, He has restored people. He has set people free. He has have, he have healed broken hearts. He has done all that to people. And He wants those people to also know how to live now that they are made whole. 
They have he said, I have spent all this time ministering to the word, giving you equipment that you can be whole, giving you equipment to be wall builders, giving you equipment to do everything that I've called you to do. So now now that I give you these instructions, I'm showing you with everything that I've given you to make you whole how you ought to live. Amen. And we want to do that. Jesus is letting the Father know that he kept them, the disciples. He kept them in the midst of an evil world. He protected them from the evil that was in the world. And I, I, I love the way he, he laid it all down and he, would, he, he, he verbalized it because he wanted them to know and he wanted us to know. Because this is the truth that, that we're finding out after the fact. And he said, for those that will believe on this, this is what I've already done. So we grab that truth and we own it and we make it ours. Amen. And so we found out in our previous teaching that God has called us in to send us out. He has called us into the body of Christ so that he can send us out to the world. He's not called us to just sit in the church. He calls for us to come to the church and get directions, instructions, and a way to do things outside of the four walls of the church. And so we, we're encumbered upon, it's encumbered upon all of us to grab this truth so that we can give to those that are without, those that are lost. We are here to seek and save that which is lost. Amen. And then the intentions of our teaching is to protect you from the evil of this world. Because why? It damages your character. It, uh, and, and you know what? And so many in the body of Christ have damaged their character. But God said, I am, uh, Jesus is saying, I'm giving you this word so that you can stay away from your character being damaged. And hurtful things. How many of you know there's a lot of hurtful things that, that you go through in life? If you haven't, you will. There's hurtful things. It comes with this system. It comes with the dispensation that you live in. There are hurtful things. And, and Jesus is saying he wanted to protect us from these things. And he said also, I want to protect you, and I want you to understand what is grievous to God. Because a lot of times, things that we don't necessarily think that's grievous, it's grievous to God. And he said, I want to show you what is grievous to God so you can get rid of it. If it grieves God and it don't grieve you, something is wrong because when it and if let me tell you, if it doesn't grieve you after God shows you that it grieves him, then let it go. Be glad to let it go. Say, God, I don't want anything in my life that's going to grieve you. I told you the purpose is to sanctify us in this truth, to separate us from evil things, to purify us on the inside, or washing on the inside, not just all of the things that we do on the outside to let and show people that we're safe, but on the inside, those private things, you know, those things that nobody sees. And in God, in our previous teachings, he gave us that he said the unseen work the unseen work he gave it see all before see that's why I keep telling you that it's line upon line and precept you you connect the knowledge see he gave us months ago he said it's some unseen work that need to be done and it's for this time because you're going to have to have yourself together in these last days in this in these perilous times in this time of tribulation you're going to have to have yourself together. And so God wants to clean you on the inside. 
And he want to separate us for a sacred purpose. A sacred purpose to be used by him. We all like to say, God use me. God said, well, yes, I want to sanctify you so can use you. Amen. And then I told you that we want to we, we want this we want to move the church forward in these perilous times. You know, I don't want us to ever get comfortable with the fact that what's going on in the country, in the in the United States or in the world, I don't ever want things to come up uh, for us to think that we can't do what God has called us to do because the world is so bad. Let me tell you the world has always been bad. Let me tell you ever since the fall of man the world has been bad. But you cannot get yourself in a situation and say, oh, times are not like they used to be. So, oh, I don't know, it's a little harder than it was. Well, no, it was hard all, it was hard then, it'll be hard now. Why? Because there is a system that's in place. And the Antichrist been here. Let me tell you, the Antichrist came when Jesus was here. When, Je- when Jesus left, the Antichrist was right there. He's always, you know, we are, we're waiting for the Antichrist to be revealed. And let me tell you, it's already here. It's a system. It's here. Amen. And so we want to make sure that in these periods of time, we we said that the you know we could say that the world have changed and it have, but we have to always remember that our assignment has not changed. We can't allow the change of the world to dictate or to intimidate us pertaining to our assignment. We said, then we gave a definition of the word world. We said the world is the whole of creation, created and ordered by God and defiled by man. I was listening to the minister this morning, and she was saying all the different things that was happening, and it's because the world has been defiled by man. Because the, and so it has already set those things in motion. When man get a hold of anything, and he defiles it, it is defiled. So we said that the world, world, and you know what, all of these definitions that I'm giving you of world, when we began to teach just other subjects, and whenever you looking in the Bible and you see the word world, it's going to pertain to one of these biblical definitions I'm giving you. Now, this might not be the de- world, might not be the definition of this world. I'm giving you biblical definition. So it's going to fall upon all of these definitions that I'm giving you, the world. So when you're teaching and the world comes up, you look at those definitions. It'll help you in your study. It'll help you to understand better. You'll, it'll, you'll understand what God is talking about. Amen. Remember, we're looking for everything from a biblical perspective. Amen. And then we said that the world is not, we, we cannot order it ourselves. And the world doesn't order itself. And I know some think that the world is evolving. Listen, listen. No, it didn't order itself. God ordered the world. The world didn't order itself. The world was ordered by God, but defiled by man. Just see, you have to understand it, because see, if I just leave it and just say God ordered the world, and you look at this system and say, oh wow, this is, no, 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 it was defiled by man. Everything that God did is good. He doesn't have anything bad. He doesn't have anything bad. But when man get a hold of it and defile it, that's a whole nother subject. Amen? The word order means that the world is framed. It's framed by the Word of God. In other words, the world is what the Word of God says. And your world, 
your world is what God says it is. It's what the Word of God says that it is. And you need to understand that. Your world is what the Word of God says. Ooh, grab that. Because, see, we'll go and do that, you know, and, and especially some of you young people, you, you are a Christian. One of the things you ought to accept, accept it now, that you're not going to be able to frame your world contrary to God's Word. You're not going to be able to do it. No, you're a Christian. You cannot frame your world that's contrary to God's Word. You ought to see your life, you, you have to see your life as having the advantage. You have to see, see, you gotta already see that. I have the advantage. I have the, what do you have the advantage of? I have the advantage of knowing that my life and my world is shaped by the Word of God. See, that's my advantage. You have that over a sinner. My advantage, my life and my world is shaped by the Word of God. So don't think that you as a Christian can go out and somehow create a life for yourself that's going to be different from what the Bible says. Are you with me? Listen, the Bible is true. The wages of sin is death. It's going to work. You reap what you sow. It's going to work. Whatever that is, look, whatever that's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. See, that's ordered. It's there. It's framed. That's going to happen. You need to just say this out loud to yourself on a daily basis. I have been blessed to know right off the bat, God is, man, that's how much God has blessed you. I have been blessed to know right off the bat that God is shaping the reality of my life. He's shaping it. Stop trying to do your own thing. He's shaping the reality of my life. All of us have to get there. So you ought to just give up and just live according to God's Word. Stop trying to shape your own world. Stop trying to do your own thing. Allow God's Word to shape your world. Shape your life. Secondly, we said that the world, the word world is the ungodly multitude alienated from God. And we learned that God loves the world. And Jesus died for the world. So we can write the, we can write off the world because Jesus died. No, we can't do that. And most people, a lot of Christians, they just wrote off the world. I'm saved now and now nobody else, God is not interested in anyone else. We, you know, we can get into that mentality in the church. In the church, that God loves us, but He's not so, you know, He's not so much in love with the world. But the Bible says that Jesus came, and that Jesus so loved the world, and God so loved the world. See, we were in the world, and we say, yeah, He loved us. Yes, He did, and He loved you enough to save you from the world. But guess what? He didn't stop loving the world after you got saved. And see, that's when people are like, okay, I got mine, you know. Oh, God just hates it. No, no, when you was in it, he loved until he got you saved. And he's continuing to love until others get saved. Or are you following me? Grab a hold of that. 
Salvation, listen, salvation didn't end when you got salvation. It's still there. And God still wants to save. Then what we've been working on, we said uh, that the word, um, the world is the hold of temporal things and worldly affairs. In other words, every temporal thing and every worldly affair is in the world. Just know that. Every temporal thing, every worldly affair is in the world. It's there. We said that worldly affairs and temporal things are a result of human activities, our humans doing, just us doing things. We were created to make stuff, to do stuff. And it is how God, that's how God made us. We learned last week that these temporal things and worldly affairs are not necessarily evil. See, we don't want everything because in our heads, in this dispensation, when you hear the world in Christendom, all we think of is sin or sinfulness but or evil. But uh, temporal things and worldly affairs are not necessarily evil. They're only evil based on the intent and the outcome. The intent and the outcome makes it evil, but it's not necessarily evil. Are you with me? Listen, if the intent is evil or the outcome is evil, then the worldly affairs and temporal things become evil. But if it's not, then it's just a worldly affair and temporal things. We must be able to understand that and say, you know what, I know the difference. And I know when I look at it, if it's just a worldly affair and temporal things versus if I, the intentions behind that worldly affair or temporal things was evil, I can, you, can, you will be able to not only discern it, you'll be able to see it. Are you with me? So we, 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 need, to, we, we need to hold that, grab a hold of that. Even the church, it, uh, when it comes to, the church has plenty temporal affairs and worldly activities that go on. You, you, don't, listen, those who work in the ministries of health, listen, when you're working in that capacity, you're only doing temporal things. Now, listen, but you know, you should be doing them in a way that glorifies God. But it is a temporal thing. Are you with me? Listen. Even if the church has temporal affairs, those who work in the ministry of health, in whatever capacity, is you, if you're glorifying God in it, then God is honoring it. It's not an evil thing. It's not a bad thing. Amen. But what you're doing is a temporal Affair. Know that. Most ministry work is temporal. Parking cars, that's temporal work. Cleaning, vacuum, getting water, sitting people, you know, running the cameras. That's temporal. Temporal affairs. Let me tell you, if we didn't have temporal affairs, we couldn't have a church. We couldn't have a church. You have to have those things. And they're not evil. But this is what I caution you with. The temporal affairs, even in church, you have to be careful because it can seduce man. 
even in church. It can seduce men and draw you away from God. See, even godly and temporal affairs can seduce you and draw you outside of the will of God, even though you're doing it in the church. Understand that. We have to remember, temporal affairs and worldly things are frail. They are temporary. They are uncertain. They are hollow. They are fleeting. Know that they are fleeting. Amen. See, you can't trust. Listen, you cannot trust in temporal things. Why? Because they're frail. Even if it is of God, it's still temporal and it's still frail. Are you with me? We also learn that we can't love, trust, and place our value in these things. See, I don't fall in love with it and trust it and place all my value, what I'm worth, in those things. You know, the Bible says in Mark chapter 4 that the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things, they enter in and choke the word. And it becomes unfruitful. Now watch this. It said those things enter in. But where did they enter in? It said they it enter in and choke the word. So where did they enter in? They entered into the heart. Not in your mind. It enters into the heart. That means you can't allow Things to get into your heart. That's why the Bible said, guard your heart with all diligence. Because out of it flows the issues of life. And it says that that thing comes into your heart. When it gets in, it chokes the Word. Things that are contrary to the Word of God. When things get into your heart, it chokes. It chokes out the Word. Strangles it. Now, notice it didn't say you couldn't have them. It didn't say you couldn't own them. Things, stuff. See, uh, uh, doing things, buying things. It didn't say you couldn't have them. It says that the lust of those things is what gets you. The lust of those things. When I desire to have those things and start loving and trusting in those things... That means it has now gotten into my heart. Did you hear me? It has gotten into my heart. And and once that happened, it has already began to choke out the Word. And it makes it to be the Word unfruitful in your life. Because it's choked out. You can hear. And you know, people say, how can somebody sit in a church teaching like that and not live it? Well, let me tell you, everybody, everybody's not on the same gear. Let me tell you, a lot of times, everybody can hear the same word. Drink of the same spiritual drink, eat of the same spiritual food, and get up and rise up and play because the word has been choked. And you'd be like, how could they do that after what? You know what? We had a teaching on that where you don't know if there's been choked. Because once it's been choked out, it's not there, even though you've heard it. Amen? Listen, temporal things and worldly affairs, they just don't last. 
They just don't. Get that. The temporal things and worldly affairs, they just don't last. Now go with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 6. And I think we left off last week on that one. And we didn't get to read it. But... <clears throat> Before I read it any further, let's wait. Well, I'm going to I'm going to read it first. Matthew chapter 6. Go there. Beginning at verse 19. It says, "Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is saying here, don't... Now, now, see, people get this and say, okay, you know, my treasure is in heaven. I'm not, he is not saying you shouldn't have a checking account. You shouldn't have a saving account. You shouldn't have insurance policy. He's not saying that. See, some people be like, okay, well, that, that's it. I'm building my treasures. I'm taking my money out the bank. I'm doing all this because I'm building my treasures in heaven. No. That's not what he's saying. Following, you just need to be taught to understand what he's saying. He's not saying don't put your... What he's basically saying is don't put your trust and your reliance in treasures of this earth. That's all he's saying. Don't put your trust and don't rely on the treasures of this earth. And let me tell you, many Christians put all of their trust and reliance on treasures of this earth. That's why they can't do what God asked them to do. All of their trust and reliance on treasures of this earth. Don't try to, you know, don't try... To just heap things upon your own lusts and your own desires. Stop that for your just your own benefit. I'm just trying to get as much as I can, as much as I can, and sit on the can. Because here's the thing. Moth and dust does corrupt. That's a surety. Ask the pharaohs. Ask the pharaohs. They tried to hold on to everything they had. They took it to the grave with it. And guess where all that stuff is? In a museum now. Because they were trying to hold it even in the grave. They were trying to. Let me tell you, in the grave, nobody's there. You don't have to try to give, you know, keep put, put everything in the grave. Let me tell you, my husband's wedding ring, my son's wear. Why would you put it in the grave in the dirt? He's not there. My son, I'm, let me tell you. I, I, I know this sounds far-fetched, but, but I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to teach you how to, how to be right. You don't have to go out and buy all this stuff to, to bury someone. Just make sure they have a clean dress on with no spots and a shirt with no spots. and put that, Because that's dirt. They're not there. They're in heaven. That's dirt. You don't have to go and spend a whole bunch of money for the dirt. They are not there. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I want the best. I want the best. Well, how, what would you? What would you know? You're not there. They are not there. 
If you have a loved one and they got a big diamond on their ring and they're standing the deal, take it off before you the last close of that casket. Put it on somebody that can wear it and pass it on down until the, the great-great-grandchild don't want it no more because then at least it's being used. But in the dirt it won't. And when Jesus comes back, I promise you, those that died in the Lord will not be concerned about any of those things. So don't waste your time spending your money on it and say, okay, well, let me get this. Let me get it. That's why you ought to have all your business in order way ahead of time where you're just not spending a whole bunch of money on just nothing. Because let me tell you something about a funeral home since they're talking about death. But let me just just reiterate it because I'm not teaching on that right now. But let me tell you what a funeral home is. Yes, they have compassion for you when you come. But understand it's a business. Understand that. Understand that. And they're going to keep hacking up everything else like any other business. Oh, well, you know, you might want another casket because I don't know if they're going to be comfortable. They're not there. But if you keep looking at it like, oh, it's just, you know, it's about, no, no, it's a business. Notice when you go, they're going to always show you something that costs a little more, or that this is nice, and this is, maybe this is platinum, and, and this is marble, and this is, it's just a business. But when you get through doing all of that, and it's going in the dirt, they're not there. We didn't buy Pastor Hill any new clothes to put on in the casket. He's not there. What he wore on Sunday. We put him in that. Why? He's not there. And guess what? That's what he said to do. He said, I'm not there. You go on and live your life. I'm, I'm at peace. Get up and go. That, 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 that's a side note. That's free of charge. Amen? Now, understand this. Look at verse 20. It says, oh, where, where was I? Uh, verse 20. But lay not up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor doth, rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through and steal. In other words, make sure what you are doing have eternal value. Not this thing that you see on earth that doesn't have eternal value. Not temporal value. The only thing that you do... Know, know this. Know this. The only thing that's going to last is what you do for God. And guess what? When you stand before God, that's the only thing He's going to bring up. So if you didn't do nothing for Him, then that's that. But He's not going to bring up all of these accolades and things you did on earth. Because they're temporal. He don't need them in heaven. That's the same thing that, James, that John said when he said, Love not the world, neither the things that are of the world. He said that, this, that the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, all of these things are not of God. Grab that. He said this world passes away. And the lust thereof. You're only going to lust for it while you're here. But it's going to pass away. That's why anything that I get for myself, I get for my family. I just enjoy it for the moment. Because that's it. Just enjoy it. Ooh, that's nice. And enjoy it. And then move on. 
the one that abides in the will of God lasts forever. That's what lasts forever. In other words, the stuff that you're going to leave here, let me tell you, it doesn't last long. But the lives that you change, they'll keep living. Because they'll pass it on. That's the thing. See, you have to understand, some of the stuff, some of the stuff you have right now, you're going to, you know, you're going to outlive it. It's going to corrupt, boy, and you're going to still be here. Have you ever seen something? Oh, you know, this thing. I bought this all this time, and it's just deteriorating before my eyes. You're going to outlive it. How many of you know you're going to set some things aside, but it will corrupt? It will corrupt. Only what you do for God will last. I like verse 21. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What you treasure is also where your heart is. What you treasure is also where your heart is. 22 and 23 says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thy eye be single, the whole body shall be full of light. But if thy eye be evil, the whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Listen. Listen. If you're falling in love with things, and you think that things are going to sustain you, how great is your darkness? If I get this, oh, that's going to that's gonna set everything for me. You think that will sustain you. How great is your darkness. Look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he would hold on to one and despise the other. We cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Thinking on things like this. What shall I eat? What shall I drink? Nor yet for your body what you should put on. Not for this life more, uh, I mean, what you shall put on. Is not for this life more than meat and the body more than rain? Isn't this life more than meat and raiment? Isn't it more than that to you? Is that all you concern yourself with? Here's the dilemma. Here's the dilemma. When Adam sinned in the garden, work got corrupted. Let me give it to you straight. Work got corrupted. So we have to work to live. You have to work to live. And we can't live without things. You can't. Have you ever seen the, the homeless and you look up under all of those bridges? They got more stuff up under there because they can't even, even though they have nothing, they're running around collecting all kinds of things because they can't, they, they can't live without things. We can't live without things. But now, what we work for is corrupted. Listen, and our flesh is desiring things that won't last. It desires it. So we have a twofold problem. We have to acquire things to live 
and not fall in love with what we acquire to please God. And if I don't ever learn how to do that, I'm going to struggle in this world. If you don't know, you're going to struggle in this world. If I don't learn that my value is not in what I have and what I own and what I possess, that does not tell you my value. Well, let's see how much they have. Let me see what they drive. Let me see where they live. Let me see what kind of clothes they wear. Let me see what kind of money they have. Let me, let's see what they can do. That does not tell anyone's value. Yet, I have to own and possess some things. You have to. To live. But I caution you, just don't put your value in it. Some people, you know, they don't want to ride in a certain kind of car. I want this kind of car. That's why you go out and get yourself involved. Because you put your value in if I drive this, that shows I have value. I can't drive a Civic because that's going to show I don't have, to me that's not value. I want what I, see you're putting your trust and your reliance and you said this tells you who I am. Hmm. No. See you can own a house, listen, but I can't live for the house. See I live to exist because I got this house now. Oh, I got this house. Oh, I got to fill this room and, and all I got to do, oh, God, I got to work overtime. Oh, I got to make extra money. Oh, Lord, I hope that stimulus check up. I need that other $1,400. Why? I'm living for this house. You have to have transportation, but you can't worship your transportation. I need money. In order to live, but I can't love money. Let me tell you, I'm not a lover of money. And people that are think everybody is. Let me tell you, lovers of money, they don't usually give to others. They're busy stacking that cash. They stacking it. And they're looking where they can find more paper to stack. They're not trying to give to nobody because they love money. Amen. So we, have, we understand that. Now, if you don't learn this, you will be seduced. You're going to be seduced from the very one who is the source of your life, and that's God. Draw you away. I got to get you away from that. I mean, Adam got us good. He got us good. Draw away. So what's interesting in this time in which we live now, many people thought, and some still think this way, that the accumulation of things is the answer. Or was the answer. And now that they have stuff, they still don't have the answer. They're still without that. But they thought, if I, the more I could get, that's the answer. It is not. This generation have it wrong too. Because they're saying, I don't need the stuff, but I'm just going to chase something now. 
I ain't trying to stack. I'm just going to chase after stuff now. I'm just chasing some things. I'm going to chase something else. I'm just going to chase. But I'm going to be in it. Frail. Hollow. Temporal. That's all that you're chasing. That's all that you're chasing. Now go with me, if you will, to First Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. Listen to me. Understand this. The more successful a church is, the more things that a church needs. You know that, don't you? The more, the, 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 the more successful a church is, the more things a church needs in order to function. It just is. Just natural things. Listen. And I've noticed this over the years. I've seen ministries. But the more things that a church needs to function, the higher the rate of corruption in the leadership. I've seen it. Uh, uh, the higher, the I'm telling you, the rate of corruption in leadership. But you can't function without things. That's why you stay with God. That's how you get people, they started, they still, you know what, sometimes I'm just thankful we're in the storefront. I've seen churches start there, and now they just doing something, and then all of a sudden now you see them showing pictures with their big cars, their furs, their houses. I'm telling you, the higher, the bigger, the more successful, not all, but a lot, not all, I'm not saying everyone, I'm saying not, but some, let me tell you, the corruption is there. It's easy to fall into it. And you know what, see, and it's easy for us to see it in churches. But listen, but it happens with Christians as individuals too. Same thing. A lot of the times when you are out drinking, cussing, sleeping around, no peace, no joy, no fulfillment. Listen, you couldn't keep a job. Then the Lord saved you and changed you. You were doing some of all of it. You were going to clubs. Well, I wouldn't go into clubs. Well, where are you sleeping around? See, it all falls up under the same thing. See, you can't be a little clean. You either dirty or you clean. See, we want to say the different things we didn't do. And then God will throw in what you did do. And show you that you're still dirty. You still needed Him to clean you up. Amen. So, God came in and He saved you. Changed you. And cleaned you up. Gave you peace. Taught you how to have character. You didn't know how to have character. He taught you how to have character. Made you start being responsible. Now you're doing better. Now you got a bank account. 
Now you can travel here. And now, you know, I'm going to have to bow out of this ministry because, you know, I, we got places we have to go now. And we, oh, no, I can't do that now because I got a little inheritance now and I got to take care of that. I got, see, you forgot that God was the one to change you. Now I don't have as much time as I used to have for God. I forget God when I start doing well. You forget the God who made us when you're doing a little better or you got a little something. That's temporal. <laughs> Whatever you got is temporal. It's, it's frail. It's hollow. It's fleeting. But I don't have time for God just right now. Hmm. Now we have Christians that are just, uh, are to be, they're successful. They're, and some of them are too successful to even be in church. I know, oh, I gotta make sure I watch this. I gotta, you know, uh, this has gotta be, well, you know, I'm kinda thankful now for the, for this pandemic and stuff, I can really watch this at home. You know, they're so busy watching what they think their success is, I don't have time for God. And when they didn't have anything, and when for them, because they were always in church. Always in church. Is there anything I can do, Pastor? But after they acquired just a few things, and after the fact that God raised them up, now I'm way too busy. I'm going to give all of my best to the world that men have defiled. Not to God. I'm too success successful. My things are too important. Hmm. You should never be that successful that your things get in the way of you and God. Never. <sighs> because if you think of it, you wouldn't have the things without God. You wouldn't have them. If God had not cleaned you up and made you a respectable person and made you find favor with God and man, God, it was God... So you got to get this proper attitude down now. See, you, 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 you can't say, well, oh, yeah, I know what she's talking about, but that's not me. I, you know, I don't have anything anyway, so it, that's not me. No, no, no. Good. It's not you. So get this attitude down now. So if something changes, you won't. See, don't wait to try to be successful and do it. Get it now. Get it right now. That's the perfect time. Remember what Jesus said about the man who had the oxen? The man who had the affairs? The man who had a wife but said, they, I can't come. Too busy. This is more important. Oh, let me let me let me let me give it to you all having babies too. It, 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 let me tell you, there's no excuse either. We got a baby now. 
In other words, things are too good for me to do what you know you need to do. You got to be careful. You got to be careful that you're not thanking God right out of the kingdom. Thank you, God, for this. Thanking him, just thanking him for all of the stuff he's giving you. And get thanking God right on out of the kingdom. Because you're not doing anywhere. Just, th- just because you're saying thank you, God, doesn't mean that it's all about God for you. You're saying thank you, God, give me more. Thank you, God, I got this. And just getting yourself right out the king- kingdom. Oh, God, the Lord is just really blessing me. He is blessing me. But you're not serving him. You're not serving him. Some of us would not even be alive if God had not saved us. Just look at your life. You wouldn't even be alive if God would not have saved us. You were headed for an early grave. You were. But God saved you. We have to. We must get this down in our hearts. Are you in First Timothy chapter 6? Beginning at verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. This is not, now, now, see, this is where a lot of these, and I'm just going to say it, a lot of evangelicals got this, that this is about slavery. This is not talking about slavery. I'll say it, let me, let me read it again. This is where they got this and said they could have slaves and that this was a Christian thing. They read this without an understanding. See, you can make the Bible say anything you want to, you heathen. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. I'll say it again. That is not talking about slavery. Better translation. Those of you with jobs, treat your boss with respect. That's what that means. Did you hear me? That's what that means. So when somebody comes and say, see, that's what, no, no, no. Say, well, you know what? That's probably what it means with a carnal mind. But let the Spirit of God reveal it to you, and you'll know what it really means. It's saying when you have a boss, you need to show respect. Verse 2, that they have, look, that they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved partakers of the benefits these things teach and exhort. In other words, in, it's in my job, it, it, I have to teach this to you. It's my job to teach this to you. I have to teach this to you with understanding, that you'll understand it. You know, you get a job. You do your job. You get a job. You do your job. You respect your boss. And if your boss is a believer, don't be jealous that they are your boss. 
they supposed to be a believer and they don't. What, what do you dear? See, see, a lot of times we as believers, we get up under a believing boss and we think that they should go easy on us. It's like, like a person that says, our family own this and they supposed to get everything free. No. No. It's saying right here that don't be all cross because if they're a believer, don't be jealous and say, hmm, they're supposed to be a believer. They should, they should first be looking out for me. Seriously. No. Respect your boss. And if your boss is a believer, don't be jealous that he is your boss or she is your boss. Verse 3, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to the wholesome words, even the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is a, uh, according to godliness, listen to him, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doubting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputing of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such withdraw thyself. If anyone would tell you that gaining material things, listen to me, listen to me, you out there, I know how much you like things. God is okay with you liking them. Don't want you to love them. But listen, listen to me closely. Anyone that tells you that gaining material things is equivalent to godliness and being right with God or being in the will of God, I'm not going to go back to all the insults that was just given to me. I'm just going to tell you to withdraw yourself. Now, you can go back and read all, because you see, all the insults that, that it says about doting, they don't know nothing. I don't care what they're, see, everybody thinks somebody knows something because they have stuff. But the Bible said they know nothing. Anybody that tells you, now you gotta have something in order to be godly. And for all the people to look at you holy, uh uh-uh, uh, you need stuff. Go back and read the insults. I'm just going to tell you to withdraw. But there's some insults about them. Now, I'm not going to call all these prosperity teachers perverse and destitute and corrupt, because that's what the Word says. I'm not going to do it. Proud, not knowing anything. Why? Because I'm nice. I'm just going to simply say withdraw yourself. You read it for yourself. Because see, if I say it, then you're gonna say, and see, this is, now this is the, this is what they go with in order to keep you ignorant. They're saying things like that because they're just jealous. They don't have it. Read the word. That's all you have to do. Just read the word. I'm gonna tell you, withdraw yourself. I don't care how long you've been in it. God just told you to. But you're not going to listen to God and you're not going to listen to me. You'll find a way to make it say, but they're showing you, I'm telling you, I'm moving on. Now, Paul is not saying here that you can't have gain and be godly. You can have gain and be godly. 
what he is cautioning him about, Timothy about, and it is don't compare your gain with godliness. That's all he's telling him. I don't want you comparing your gain with godliness. Write this down. Gain is a result of your work. Godliness is a result of your relationship. I'll say it again. Gain is a result of work. Godliness is a result of your relationship. And one thing doesn't have anything to do with the other. Nothing to do with the other. And sometimes we're confused. We confuse being better and being successful as being righteous. We, you know, we're being, you know, they're better. Well, sometimes we think righteousness is, you know, we, we confuse it with being successful. And there's no connection. There's no connection with the two. Did you hear me? Look at, look at verse 6. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, at whatever level you have gain, you need to learn if you're godly that you there you there is your contentment right there. Whatever level that you're on in gain. Maybe you got just a little gain. Be content. Your contentment comes from godliness, not gain. Your contentment comes from godliness, not gain. Everybody thinks, if I get this, I'm gonna be, I'll be, I'll, okay, I'll be satisfied. It's like saying, if you get me this, I won't ask for nothing else. You will. You know, me and my husband, I was married 40 years. And we had times when we had little. We had times when we had nothing. Listen. We had times when we had negative numbers. But there was never, ever, never, ever a connection between our bank account and our marriage. As a matter of fact, our most blessed time was when we were in lack. That was when you could make a pallet in the middle of the living room floor and have a smorgasbord. Well, how, how did you do that? You got everything in the refrigerator and put it down and we all sat down and ate. Contentment. Contentment. I'm telling you, the le- when we had the least was the most joyful times of our lives. See, things and gain can be deceptive. So very deceptive. And that's all that, 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 that Timothy, Timothy is being warned about with Paul. Paul is warning him of that because he's, that, he's, he's young and Paul said, you're going to come into some things that I'm warning you ahead of time so you can be ready for it and you can understand it. And Timothy was the type of young man that listened. See, that's different with a minister listens. 
These things are deceptive. Watch it. Watch verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain, not maybe, it is certain we can carry nothing out. I love that. So you don't have to, again, you don't have to put your jewelry and all that stuff in the ground. Let me tell you, they're not there. You don't have to put all your stuff in dirt. They're not there. They can't take it with them. They're not there. Look at verse 9. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drawn men into destruction and perdition. Oh, my God. Oh, did I miss verse 8? And having, let's, let me do 8 and 9. And having food and raiment, let us be there with content. And listen, in this sanctuary alone, and it's not very many people in here, five or six people in here, but in this sanctuary alone, every one of us in here have more than food and raiment. Every one of us, we have more than just food and raiment. And right here in verse 8, it says, And having food and raiment, let us therefore be content. If you just had that, be content. Verse 9, But they that will be rich fall into temptations and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which draw men in destruction and perdition. Notice, the, notice what he didn't say. See, a lot of times when you're reading Go back and look what they didn't say. Notice what he didn't say. He did not say that they that are rich. He said those that would be rich. See, we look at it and say, see, rich people. That, no, that's not what he said. He didn't say they that are rich. <laughs> those that, see, it wouldn't change and say, it wouldn't change if you would say, those that want to be rich. <laughs> Here's the thing. Financial game is most often, listen, especially those of you that are starting up businesses and understand, understand this. <sighs> Financial gain is most often the result of service to others. People that usually do good and, and, and most people who are financially successful is because they came up with something that would service others. That's why we go into all these other places. Somebody found a service that was to others, that would benefit others. Listen to me. Especially you want to be entrepreneurs. Most people that are financially successful... They have come up with something that's going to benefit others. Listen. But when they came up with that, what didn't motivate them was wealth at the time. It wasn't wealth that motivated them. It, see, it was what they were trying to do for someone else. And wealth came as a byproduct. I'm going to show you how this works. See, the wealth came as a byproduct 
of what they were trying to accomplish. But nowadays, people who are running around trying to be rich, (laughs) follow me, trying to just get some money, this is one thing I've noticed. A bunch of broke people go to these seminars on how to get rich. I'm going to learn how to do this because they want to know how to get rich. See, they want a good, a quick get rich. I'm not trying to get what benefits others. See, I'm not trying to gain wealth. I want to get rich quick. And most of the people, when you see them in these big seminars, they are broke. And the only person in the seminar that's rich is the one giving the seminar. And they don't get it. How did they get rich? And the only reason why they want to come and look at it because they look at what the rich person has and they want it. So I want to get rich quick. Those that would be rich or that want to be rich. So don't tell me all this stuff you reading about and everything. You broke. And that person you reading behind, they're wealthy. They got something that's going to benefit you and you want to do it quick. Everybody at the seminar, everybody reading is in love with the rich person. And the rich person is in love with what they're doing. Now watch this. How many of you know somebody that has fallen into many hurtful situations striving to get an extra dollar? I have. Just an extra dollar here and there. Let me do this. Let me do that. Just an extra here and there. Look at verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, if you keep reading down, you'll find out that Paul is not anti-wealth. He's not. He's trying to get something over. Because it goes to tell you, like over in verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world. That they be not high-minded, nor trust in in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Verse 18. That they do good, that they do be, that, excuse me, verse 18. That they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Again, he's not anti-wealth or anti-with you having wealth. He's not saying that you can have wealth. You you need to be wealthy to do different things that God may want to take you. Listen, there's nothing... Listen, understand this. There is nothing godly... Listen... There's nothing godly about being poor. There's also nothing godly about being middle class. 
There's nothing godly about being upper middle class. There's nothing godly, listen, about being wealthy. Again, godliness has to do with your relationship with God, not what you have. And no matter what economic class that you fall into, God wants to use you. Why? To glorify Him. If you have a little, use it to glorify Him. If you write in the middle, use it to glorify Him. If you're doing a little better than middle, use it to glorify Him. If God blessed you and you're doing really good, use it to glorify Him. The only value is what you do for the kingdom. The only value in anything that you do is what you do for the kingdom. Next definition of world. Write it down. The world is all that is rebellious, hostile, and opposed to God. The world is all that is rebellious, hostile, or hostile, let me put that one first. Hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. Go with me to John 14. John 14. It can simply be stated this way. The world system, the world system is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. Everything that's hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God is under the influence of of the adversary. Everything is under the influence. Anything hostile, rebellious, and... um, Opposed to God is under the influence of the adversary. A simple way of saying this is the world system is influenced by the adversary. Who is the adversary? The devil. Notice this. I use the word influenced. Why? Because men have a free will. And the only thing the adversary can do is influence. So the so understand this. The devil's not running the world. Man is. Did you hear me? The devil is not running the world. Man is. But the adversary does is influence man who is running the world. That's all he's doing. Now, things that are hostile rebellious and opposed to God, always will appeal to the flesh. Always. One more statement. Then we're going to read. The adversary desires to keep man in this world system. He said, i got to keep him operating, living, and operating out of this world system. That is his desire, to keep man in the state that is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. Look at John 14, verse 22. Verse 22 says, Judas said unto him, not Iscariot, 
Sometimes somebody just said, what do you mean not as scary? There's two Judases. Yes, there is. Judas said unto him, not as scary, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Now, remember this, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, those chapters, Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. Understand that. And he was having, you know, and he was having a back and forth exchange with his disciples. They were talking. He was preparing them, I'm about to depart. In other words, how is it going to, how are we going to know you and not the world? How how are we going to know that? Look at verse 23. Jesus said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my father will love him, and he will come and, and unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the father's which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, better yet present with you. But the comforter which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance wheresoever I have said unto you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth. So that goes to show you that the world can give you peace. He said, not as the world giveth. Give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Ye have heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again unto you. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it come to pass, when it come to pass, you might believe. Hereafter, listen, this is key, I will not talk much with you. For the prince of the world cometh and hath nothing in me. But that the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. He said, I'm not going to talk much. I'm not going to talk much. He said, because the prince of this world coming but he has nothing in me listen God here is letting us know that there is an influence in this world now the influence is coming from the adversary follow me that's why he sent another comforter he said because there's going to be an influence in the world that's why he wants to sanctify us with truth. Because he understood, understood that the world was being influenced by the adversary. That's why Jesus was, listen, selective in what he said. Follow it. He was selective in what he taught. Because the, listen, because the adversary is not omniscient. He's not omnipotent. He's not omnipresent. Meaning this, that the adversary doesn't know everything, that the adversary does not have all power, but he does have some power. Listen, 
He is not everywhere. So Jesus said, there's some things I can't share with you yet. There's some things I can't tell you. He said, I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to speak it. I'm not, I can't tell you yet. He said, there's some things I can't speak. We just read it. I'm not going to talk to you. Meaning the advert, listen, he said, I can't speak it because the adversary, the influencer of this world, if he knows what I'm doing, then he's going to try to influence you away from what I'm going, I'm doing. Ooh, that was good. He said, I'm not going to talk to you. He, but listen to what he said. He said, but I'm going to send you another comforter. I'm not going to say a bunch of things out loud to you because there's an influence. And if he knows what I'm doing, he's going to drag you. He's going to give you a way, get you a way to drag you away from that. So he's saying this. While I'm in the earth, I've got to hold some things back. He said, I'm not going to talk anymore. I've got to hold some things back. But here's the good news. I'm going to send you a comforter. And guess what? He's going to abide in you. Ooh. Y'all ought to see that coming. Y'all ought to see what he's saying coming. He said, I don't be dismayed. I'm going to send another comforter. He's going to abide in you. And why did God want his spirit in us? So that he could speak to you and not to the world on the inside. No influence when he's speaking to you from the inside. Because nothing is said out. It's on the inside. He said, the, because the adversary is coming, but he has nothing in me. I'm not going to talk too much anymore. Because he wants to influence you away from what I'm doing. But I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit that's going to get down on the inside of you. And I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. And there will be no influence. So now God can speak to me. Why? How? By His Spirit. How, what happens? When He speaks to me by His Spirit, it bypasses the adversary that's in the world. He misses it all together until you open your mouth. So whatever God is trying to get to me, won't be influenced. The adversary can't know the plans of God that God has for you. The adversary can't understand the plans God has for you. The adversary can't mess up the plans that God has for you. That's that deal when tithing come in where he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. And he will not. I prevent him from trying to, to, to go forward and and knock down everything that you're doing. Trying to make it come too early or not or too late. I'm, I'll crush that. That's why when God speaks to me, I don't need 15 people opinion. Oh, I need, you know, I need a confirmation. When God speaks to you, you got the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important to have the Holy Spirit on the inside. When He speaks to you, you don't need 15 confirmations. You don't need nobody. Well, I'm going to ask their opinion on it. I want to get your opinion on it. Well, the Holy Spirit speaks to you. 
That's why you don't need to ask somebody what they think. Oh, this one will help you. That's why you don't need a magazine that you need to get to see what, you know, what would Oprah do. You need to find out what the Holy Spirit is going to do. So when God speaks to me by God, by His Spirit, I'm going to be able to hear Him down on the inside. The enemy can't see it. And see, when you want to run to the magazine and see what Oprah want to do, guess what? It's just going to influence you. It's going to influence you. Oh, God has <laughs> spoken to me. You know, somebody unmarried. He has spoken to me, you know, you know, to be holy. And so now, I'm, you know, I need to get the magazine to see how to dress and how to do and whatever so somebody can, can catch me. Snatch me up. There's the wrong influence. I got to see what's happening out there so I can know what to do to make, you know, to that's influence. He gave you his spirit so he could speak to you. So he wouldn't have to speak to you in the world. And that's why Jesus said, I have to go. Think on it. He said, I have to go. I can't even, I can't even tell you everything. That's why I gotta go so the Holy Spirit can come. It's some more stuff you need to know, but I can't tell you right now. The influence have come and he, but he has nothing in me, but he's gonna have influence over you. So I got to go. So I can send you the Holy Spirit that'll get down on the inside. So then you can know all things. <laughs> oh, I love God. Gee, I'm telling you, God had this plan so perfectly. Perfectly. Everything. He said, I have to go. He said, because if I tell you everything now, and I know the influencer, he's waiting to take it away. He'll start manipulating my plans so God can't get the glory. So there's some things Jesus was saying that I'm going to have to keep from you, but only just for now. It's going to change. Eventually you'll see it and you'll know my will. See, we know his will. You will know what the will of the Father is. Watch this. He said, I'm still not going to speak it. Listen. Even the will of God, he said, I'm still not going to speak it out. I'm going to speak it to your heart. So you won't be influenced. I'm going to put it right down in your heart. See, now that's good news. So how do you, how do you believe that you're saved? You believe it because why? The Holy Spirit dwells in you. That's why you believe. How do you know God is real? Because of the spirit that live on the inside of you. He's the one that's speaking it to you. The, the, let me tell you, the world ain't telling you that God's real. How do you know God has changed you? 
How do you know His will? Because He is speaking by His Holy Spirit to you down on the inside. Last, last chapter to go to. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's good to do a little scripture turning. Now watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now watch this. The adversary desires to keep us in this world system. In this ungodly state. He wants us to say, listen, I want you to operate in this. And what God wants to do is for us to be able to live in this system. Live in this dispensation. Live in this span of time of the world. And to let people know that this system that I live in is hostile to me and to them. See, I need to be able to say with my life, this system we live is hostile. When I minister to somebody, see, they are, have been influenced. We've come out of that. Now we need to let them know this system is hostile to you and to God. It's hostile. You have to let them know that this system is rebellious to God. And there's another way to live. God has another plan for our life. Look at verse 1 and verse 4. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. We have now, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness and handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. I love that. Now, you know what? In your own time, you need to, in your own time, you need to read chapter 3. You need to go back. You need to read that. And it lets you know how you ought to live with, you know, how you ought to be epistles. Living examples. See, you gotta read on up into it. But let's, let's continue in that. Go, go back and read that. Verse 3. But if thy gospel, if the gospel is hid, it's hid from them that are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the mind, there's the influence of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants of Jesus, uh, for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness had shined into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. In other words, what I'm teaching here is hid from those that are lost. They can't get it. They can't understand it. But we have this ministry. You can't assume that everyone that is lost and everybody that's doing evil and everybody that's living an ungodly life, that is what, you know, that is just what they want. They are lost. See, you gotta consider that. A lot of times you see people that, they seem like they just enjoy living like that. They are, they're lost. They're lost. They're in darkness. Tell yourself that. The influencer is trying to keep you and keep them from getting to the light. 
He has to keep them from the light. Keep them away from that. That's why a lot of your children, that's why they don't want to come around light. Every time they have an opportunity to see the light or to know the light, the influencer will try to come and keep them from getting the glorious light. He's like, I can't let that get into their heart. I can't let it get into their heart or they're going to come out of this evil system and I don't want them out of this evil system. So you have to understand the adversary. He desires to keep man in this system. He desires that since the beginning. I got to keep him there. If this is all this is going on in the world is just a continuation of the original deception. It's just a continuation. It's just an add-on. It's just a connecting on the original deception. When God kicked the devil out of heaven, from that day to this day, the adversary has one singular plan, and that is to undo everything God has done. That's his whole plan. i got to undo what God has done. Get this. Stop being in a rush for me to get through and get this. His whole plan from the beginning since he's been kicked out, i got to undo what God has done. So the, so the adversary is working with everything that is in him to keep everybody from in darkness. i got to keep them from the light. Even the Christian... And God is countered with the army. We're in the army of the Lord. And we in the army of God, we at least ought to work as hard, as not hard if not harder, than the adversary to draw people out of darkness. Because he's trying to keep them in. we got to get them in the... You're in the army! It's just a battle. It's just a battle. Understand that. Listen, when you got saved, whether you knew it or not, you got drafted into the army. Whether you knew it or not, you got drafted into the army. You're now in the army of the Lord. And guess what? You didn't get drafted to just live on base. Some of you military people can grab that. You got drafted so you can get some orders. You can't get ordered until you're in the army. Now you get your orders. And the the orders is that he's sending us. You can relate. Once you get orders, you're going to get sent somewhere. God said, I'm sending you out into the world that needs to know truth. But if, but if we're prejudiced against the world, you'll hide the truth. And I ain't telling them nothing. See, you're prejudiced against the world. If I got a discriminatory attitude towards the world, if I'm in the army to kill the world and destroy the world or condemn the world, then I become a hindrance to the reason 
I was drafted into the army of the Lord. Now I'm hindering it. We're trying to get in the seat that Jesus don't even sit in. I'm saying what the world can do. Jesus is not even in that seat. See, I wasn't drafted to make somebody that's living an ungodly, uh, they're in ungodly relationships or living an ungodly lifestyle. You know, I'm not, I'm not in there to make them an enemy. And see, that's what a lot of Christians do. We make those that are contrary, we make them the enemy. That's not what you're in the army of the Lord for, to make them an enemy. You were drafted to let them know that the relationship that they are in is not glorifying God and is not right. But they're not your enemy. Because there are so many people that are in ungodly relationships who think God... Let me tell you, there's people in ungodly relationships that think that God is pleased with the relationship they're in. They think God is pleased. Why? Because they're in a system that was created by the adversary. And that have caused them to believe that God thinks that it's all right to live the way they live. It's all right with what they are. Or how they are. Or what they're doing. That's why you have, listen, ungodly lifestyle. People with ungodly lifestyle looking for churches. And you got churches that's teaching that their lifestyle is all right. That's the churches that they want. And there's plenty of them. When you have a pastor that's married to a male and talking about this is second gentleman, that's the churches they're looking for. When you have... A gay church is what they call them. A homosexual church. That's the churches that they're looking for. If you have a church with heterosexuals that are married, but they're teaching nothing's wrong with sex outside of marriage, as long as one day you get married, that's what they're looking for. Hmm. You have people living in sin and justifying their sin by their own standard. I think God's all right with me. I know God's pleased with me. I know I know the Lord. Oh, this is a good one. God made me this way. If our gospel is hid, hid from those that are perishing, those that are lost. The truth, we cannot let the truth be hid. Look at, look, I mean, look at all of us. See, we, we just talked about people, but look at me. Look at you. Look at where you were. Truth used to be hidden from you. Every one of us, it was hidden from us. But guess what? Somebody broke through the darkness. And got to us. And now God is sending us out as agents of light. 
That's why the Bible says we must renounce the hidden things of dishonesty and, 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 and walking in craftiness. We got to denounce that. We got to denounce handling the word of God deceitfully. Because if we don't, you know what's going to happen? Then we are going to have things that we're going to layer over the light that's in us. We're going to layer things over the light. We're going to be like we steal the light, but we got things layered over it. Because we have to denounce those things as believers. That's why if the gospel be hid. Now I'm going to leave you with this to think on next week. Write it down. Because this one, this is going to be good. I was looking at some of it this week, you know, just coming off of this. And I, I finished these notes and I was looking at this. But write this down. Morality. Morality. Mora- morality is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. You mean morals? Moral- morality is hostile, rebellious, and opposed to God. The hostility of this world system is hostile toward righteousness. What the world system is rebelling against is righteousness. What the world system is opposed to is righteousness. And what the adversary has done, oh, he's crafty, and that's why God is revealing. The adversary have done to be hostile toward righteousness is to establish morality. He say, put that there and it'll be just fine. Ooh, ooh, don't miss next week. He put it there and said, just put it right there in the midst of the darkness. Morality. Mm. And you know what? This is the this is the sad part. But I thank God for all of you that belong to Church of the Living Water. That get the real teaching, get the live teaching, get teaching that is balanced, teachings that have been studied for and prayed over. That you get and understand it. You ain't all over the place and jumping here and there, doing all that foolish stuff. And you're too old for that. Listen, listen to this, because I'm I'm closing with this. Again, what the, what the adversary have done is because he's hostile, the system is hostile towards righteousness, is established morality. And morality, even for the Christian, doesn't seem to be opposed to God. You hear people all the time, but they got good morals. They're morally good. See, it doesn't seem hostile or rebellious toward God. Listen, morality seems like it's close to God, but it is not. It seems like it's close to God, but actually it's very far from God. Morality. It's called, I like to call it, I was thinking about it, I like to call it the spirit of the age. Uh, let's say the spirit of this age. It's in a constant state of morality. But morality was devised. Listen. Ooh, write this down and you can use this. Morality was devised to make a man 
that is unrighteous feel justified. <laughs> ooh, ooh, Lord, I wish I could just go on and just go on and teach that right now. That that was a good statement. Everybody should have jumped up and just sat back down. Just jumped up and just sat back down. I'll say it again. Morality was devised to make a man that is unrighteous feel justified. See, if I can be justified through through morality, then there's no reason to become righteous. <laughs> there's no reason. I don't need God. I'm, I mean, I, I, I don't kill nobody. I'm good. I give to the poor. I, I, I do those things. I don't need God with all this stuff they do. Let me tell you, the adversary, the influencer, has influenced even Christians to believe that morality is close to God and is far, far, far from God. And listen to me. There are many Christians that are not righteous. They're just moral. That's what God said, and I believe him. He said many, they're not righteous. They're just moral. And they just justify themselves through morality and not righteous towards God. We'll pick up there next week, but that's something for you to think on. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.